Thanks for bringing your Bibles with you this morning. If you have them, we're going to look at one verse this morning from the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 6. If you don't have your Bibles with you, we're going to project this verse on the screen for us. And it is one verse, but it is very important and very powerful, so I trust that it will minister to you. So let me invite you to stand as you're able to hear God's Word. Hebrews 11, verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Let's go, let's do it one more time. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. May God inspires today through his word. You may be seated. Now, it's raining pretty rigorously this morning, but you may remember just this past Wednesday, it rained pretty hard as well, and there's a portion of one of the neighborhoods that actually flooded, and Pastor Glenn Greiner, one of our pastors here, he lives down in one of those kind of low areas, and the Muncie Star sent a reporter out there, and he found Leslie, Glenn's wife, sitting on the roof as things were floating by, and as they were sitting there together, they noticed, uh, first of all, this chicken coop came floating by. And then, and then there was a horse that went swimming by. And then there was a VW bug that was actually floating by the house. And after a little while, then they noticed a hat that was floating by, and it floated by the front of the house like this and got about 20 feet past the house. And then the hat turned around and began to float upstream like that. And then it got about 20 feet past the other side, and it turned around again and began to float back downstream. And it was quite puzzling to the reporter, and he watched this hat go back and forth seven or eight times, and finally he turned to Leslie and said, Mrs., do you have any idea what that hat is? And she said, oh yeah, that's just my crazy husband, Glenn. He said he was going to mow the lawn come hell or high water. Now, here's the problem. The problem today is that a lot of us are focusing on the lawn when the house is ready to float away. We, we've got to get focus on the wrong, right problem. Last week, we, we said all of us need healing. We all do. You know, I went through a list of issues that come up in people's lives, and all of us found ourselves somewhere on the list. And we all recognized, yeah, we're all imperfect. We're all fallen. We've, we, we all fall short. We all have hurts. We have wounds from the past, pain that we cover, carry around. We, we have hang-ups. We have habits that we'd like to change. Everybody needs healing. Everybody does. And the steps in order to get to a place of wholeness and healing are the same no matter what the particular issue is. The steps are the same. And we talked about last week that the root cause of all this is my desire to control things. We mentioned that most of us tend to, to reject our humanity to deny the fact that we're weak and flawed and we're, we're filled with all kinds of weak, weak spots and weak tendencies and weak behaviors. And, and so we, we resist the notion that we're human and flawed. And at the same time, we want to pretend like we're God and control everything, control our own lives, control other people's lives, control our environment. And we talked about the consequences of that behavior, and it only leads to fatigue and fear and frustration and failure. 
So the question is, how do you break the habit? How do you break out of those patterns and those tendencies? Well, one of the things is you have to get past denial. Denial is a big, big part of it. We excuse ourselves, really. It's not, my issue is not a big deal. You know, I, I know that some of the things that have happened to me in the past affects my relationships now or some of the habits or hang-ups that I have, some of the barriers that exist in my life, some of the chronic tendencies I have, you know, it's not really that bad, you know, I'm fine, you know, it's no big problem, I've got this under control, and this is kind of the, 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 the denial game that we play. We, we also tend to accuse other people for our problems. We excuse ourselves, but we accuse others. You know, if my wife would just straighten up and fly right, then our marriage would be okay, and, and so we, we, we develop these patterns. But denial is something we have to overcome. Denial, denial is like jumping off a real high building. You just jump off, and about halfway down, somebody sticks their head out the window and, and says to you, How, how's it going? And you say, so far, so good. And you, you just um, live in a state of, well, these problems are never going to be an issue for me. I'm going to be able to handle these things. I can control it. I can live with it. And, and it never gets any better. I saw an ad in the paper this week, a Lost and Found, uh, and I think it illustrates denial, and it read, Lost, a three-legged dog, maybe you saw this one, blind in the right eye, left ear missing, broken tail, recently castrated, answers to the name Lucky. <laughs> How many of you have heard that one? That's, a, that's an old one. That's like denial. <laughs> So what's the antidote to denial? Well, God, God, God's antidote for denial is pain. Remember I mentioned that God whispers to us in our pleasures, but he shouts to us in our pain. And sometimes, sometimes a crisis will be allowed to come into our lives. There's an illness or there's a loss of job. There's some acute stress point that God allows in our lives and crisis comes and it kind of shakes us loose from that tendency to say, well, everything's fine, or I'm, I'm going to be all right, that denial thing. So crisis is allowed. Sometimes confrontation happens. If you have family or close friends who say to you, look, you're blowing it. You're going to lose important things. You're going to lose your job if you keep up this behavior. You're going to lose your family. You're going to lose important things if you don't change your ways. You know, there's an old saying in Texas, if, if, uh, if, if someone calls you a horse's behind, if one person does it, you just, uh, you just ignore it. If two people call you a horse's behind, then you need, need maybe to look in the mirror. But if three people call you a horse's behind, that means you need to buy a saddle. That, that's the old saying. And so if, if three people are telling you, look, you're a workaholic, you need to buy a saddle. So if three people are saying, look, you keep getting in toxic relationships, you need to figure out what's going on. You need to buy a saddle. If, if three friends, family members say to you, look, you know, you're an alcoholic, then you need to buy a saddle. You've got to face into that and try to deal with it. Um, you know, it's, it's just like the fire alarm in your house. Living in denial about these issues that need to be healed and come clean in your life is like a fire alarm. If the fire alarm goes off in your house, what's your reaction to that? Well, the person who lives in denial says about the fire alarm, that noisy thing, somebody shut that off, you know, and you pick up something and throw at it and try to knock it off the wall and make it quiet. That's what, a, that's what a person who's not functioning rationally does because we all know that when the fire alarm goes off, the right thing to do is re to respond to a fire. 
there must be danger here. We've got to get out of the house. And so God uses confrontation. He also uses catastrophe to break into our denial and try to bust up that denial. And I hope he doesn't have to use this in your life. But when the bottom falls out, maybe it's happened to you. And for sure, you've all observed it in the lives of others. You've heard the phrase, well, he hasn't hit bottom yet. Why would you want to go to the bottom? Why would you want to go all the way down there before getting help? And so sometimes God allows catastrophe. So like we said last week, and, and this is on your outline, we'll put it up on the screen just to remind you. First step in becoming clean is to realize I'm not God. I'm powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing, and my life is unmanageable. That's the first step, just coming to an awareness. I'm a human being. I'm not God. I don't have every asset and resource I need to overcome all the issues in my life. I need help. And the second step is what we want to talk about today, and that's a, that's a step of hope. It says, I admit it, I'm helpless, I'm powerless. And then step two says, there is a power available for me to give me what I need to overcome whatever issues exist in my life. So on your outline, I want to put this up on the screen too, and you want to fill in these blanks. Here's today's point. Earnestly believe that God exists, that he exists, that I matter to him, that I matter to him, and that he has the power the power to help me recover. Now, this second step's based on our verse today, Hebrews eleven six. Anyone who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Three points in the main outline today. And the first one is this. Acknowledge God's existence. Acknowledge God's existence. You probably are aware that atheism is gaining some traction in our in our world today. There are authors who have written books on atheism, either from a philosophical point of view or a scientific point of view, and some of these books have become bestsellers. There are atheists now who are gathering in conventions, national conventions, international atheist conventions. There are even groups of atheists now who are meeting on Sunday morning in a religious way. There are groups of atheists in America right now meeting this morning, gathering together to talk about their atheism. They sing songs, they take up an offering, they have a sermon. It's crazy time. Now, having said that, there's a lot of folks who, who become unnerved and a little un, un, unwound by the notion that atheism as a philosophy is growing. Listen, you don't have to take atheism too seriously because it's not actually true. <laughs> there is a God. You know, it's, 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 it's like, it's, it's like uh, telling someone that Mickey Mouse is not real. Everybody knows Mickey Mouse is real, all right? And you can't, you can't, you can't deny that. I mean, it's crazy. Um, and so here's my point. Atheism works so long as everything is okay in your life. But as soon as you're threatened and crisis comes to your life, most folks will run away from atheism very quickly and they run to God. Because listen what's true. 
there is an intuition, there's an instinct, there's an inbred awareness that God has placed inside of all of us. God has placed eternity in our hearts. That's one way to describe it. We are aware at some fundamental level, every one of us, we are aware that there's got to be something, someone, somewhere who's bigger, who's stronger, who's more powerful, who has the ability to control things more than me, because if not, I'm in trouble. We all get that. And as soon as I am personally threatened by a personal crisis, catastrophe, or some national crisis or catastrophe, or global crisis, you know, just, just, the, just something important to me, fundamental to my well-being, blips on the screen and makes me unstable, I'll run for my atheism and I'll run to God <laughs> because that's what human beings do. <laughs> and it's the right instinct. And so we, we can't get too, uh, too worked up about an atheist movement, I don't think. I, uh, I'm still fascinated by this whole notion of science now coming to the conclusion that there's no, there's no reliable science available that suggests that there's, a, that there's an intelligent designer <laughs> in the universe. And it's, just, it's really it's, it's stunning to me. It's, it's, it's a level of incomprehensible arrogance, intellectual arrogance, to assume that this all just happened. Uh, if, you, if you took your watch apart, you know, hundreds of little pieces of a watch, and you put it in a bag and you shook it, you know, how long would you have to shake it until a watch pops out? It just doesn't work. It's just, but there are people who will actually assume that given the right number of pieces and enough time that a watch will actually pop out. And it, and it boggles my mind. So my point is that where there is a creation, it stands to reason there is a creator. Where there is an effect, there must also be a cause. Where there is design, there must also be a designer. So in this age that uh, we know more and more about the universe and we have greater numerical ability through computers to compute random chance, what should be happening in our world, what logically should be happening is that there should be fewer and fewer people given the, the level of technology we'd have to, to compute the odds of that watch actually popping out of the bag after a certain amount of time, we know how impossible it is to even comprehend. You would think that there would be fewer and fewer people saying that there is no creator, there is no intelligent designer. But just the opposite is happening, and there are reasons for that. But in order to get help in your life, my point today is to acknowledge God's existence. Romans 1.20, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen. So Paul wrote to the Romans, he said, the created order demonstrates God's visible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature is on display. And it's obvious to see. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. In fact, the Bible says it's foolish not to believe in God. It's irrational. It's illogical not to believe in God. And, and one of the reasons that it's irrational not to believe in God is because we can look at the examples of people's lives that have been transformed in a relationship with God. I can, I can say to an atheist if they ask me, how can you demonstrate to me that there is a God? I said, look at my life. I'm here. I'm sane. I'm functional. I have some sense of purpose in my life. And I have only one explanation for that. It's because I invited God into my life. And he's made a difference. So 
have to deal with that. I uh, read this week about two delinquent boys in a Catholic school, and they'd been misbehaving. They were sent to the principal's office, and the principal knew that what they really needed was God in their lives, so she brought the first boy in, and he's all scared to death, and she says, I want to ask you a question. Where is God? And he's all freaked out by this, and he said, I, I don't know. She asked him three or four times, where is God? I want you to think about that question. He just sat there kind of shaking, and finally she gave up on him and sent him out and ordered the second boy to come in, and as the two boys were passing, the second boy said, what's going on? What's up? And the first boy said, I don't know, but God is missing. They're trying to pin it on us. The real issue for most of us isn't, is there a God? The real issue for us is what kind of God is he? What is he really like? And what does it really matter? And you see, are, are you following that now? The question for most of us isn't, does God exist? The question for us is, what kind of God is he? What's he like? And does that matter for my life? Unfortunately, too many people in our world tend to project on their definition and image of God the experience that they've had with their parents or guardians. So if your father, for example, was, was aloof and unloving, then you project onto God, well, God's aloof, and he's distant, and he's not connected to me emotionally, intimately. He's an unloving God, you know. He's, he's a harsh God, you know. He's a disciplinarian. He's after me. If, if, if your parent was somebody to be feared then you go around in life sometimes, and this is a wrong thing to do, going around thinking this is the way God is. He'll just arbitrarily just crack you. You don't even know why. So people do. They walk through life like this. You believe in God? Yeah. But they're always flinching, just expecting God to crack them because that's the way they were raised. And that's a bad, that's a bad thing to do. If, you're, if your mother was abusive, then you tend to think God is abusive. If your parent was uncaring, then the tendency is to transfer that over to God. Instead of God making you into his image, you make God into your image. And it's not, it's not good. Every once in a while, you'll hear people say, well, my idea of God is, and then they'll tell you, my concept of God, I'm a very spiritual person, and my concept of God is, and, you know, and then Oprah will pontificate on that for a while. Well, who made Oprah or anyone else an authority? Who made you an authority on who God who made me an authority on who God is? Chances are, if we just come up with an idea on our own, we'll be wrong. Because we all have to, we all, we're all filtering things through all of the stuff that has happened in our lives. So here's, here's, what, we, here's what we need to remember. That God has revealed himself to us. It is possible to understand God's character. And that's the second point. Understand God's character. What is he really like? And does it really matter? Until I know what God is really like, then I'll be reluctant to trust him. Does that make sense? If I don't know him and actually understand who he is in nature and character, then how can I trust him? So it behooves me to understand who God is in character. And once I know who he is, then I can better submit my life to him. Notice Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 says... Christ is the visible expression of the invisible God. Christ is the visible expression of the invisible God. If you want to know what God is like, just look at Jesus. 
because he's the visible expression of the invisible God. If you're reading about Jesus and studying about Jesus' life and you're piling through the Gospels and, and listening to the eyewitness accounts of who Jesus was and what he said, then you are learning about the nature and character of God himself. Let me break this down into three subpoints. The first is this. God knows all about my situation. God knows all about my situation. Psalm 56, you know how troubled I am. You've kept a record of my tears. Can you hear the psalmist? Look, you, he said, you know me. You know everything that's happened to me. And you understand me. There are people in our culture, maybe there are people in this room right now, you, you might say, nobody knows the hell I'm going through in this marriage. But listen, no, God does. Or nobody knows how I'm struggling to break this habit. I can't get it out of my mind. Nobody understands. Wait, yes, God understands. He knows. He knows. Nobody knows the depression and the fear that I'm going through, the anxiety that I suffer. Yes, someone does. God knows. And he's kept a record of your tears. He knows it all. Nothing escapes his notice. He knows all about your situation. Psalm 31 says, you've seen the crisis in my soul. So God is aware of your needs. The Bible says he knows what you need even before you ask for it. Psalm 69, 5, you know how foolish I've been. Now, it's, it's sometimes easy to forget this part and follow this. We don't want God to know all the dumb stuff we do. Hope God wasn't watching on that one. Right? Hope God didn't see that. Boy, that was bad. Fact is, there's nothing off the record with God. You, you always have an audience, 24 hours a day. He knows the good days, the bad days, the dumb stunts we've pulled, the foolish decisions we've made. And here's the amazing part. He still loves us. He knows all about it. And he loves us. I got a reminder of this one day. You know, my wife sells residential real estate in the area. And a couple of years ago, she bought, purchased a billboard. You see some of these real estate agents with big billboards, a picture on a billboard, you know, with their company. And so, so she purchased a couple of those. And she told me where they were, but I forgot all about it. I don't pay any attention to that. And, and, so, and so, so I'm driving through town about a week later. And I pull up at a stoplight, and the light's red. And I'm just sitting there, just sitting there. And I'm, you know, not thinking about too much of anything, but I begin to feel a presence. <laughs> it was a very odd feeling. I couldn't, I couldn't really explain it. And this all happened, you know, kind of quickly. Light was red, and I was just sitting there. I said, what is, what is going on? I, then I glance up right in front of me, right there, and there's my wife, you know, with a 12-foot head just looking at me like that. Ooh! <laughs> can't go anywhere without, without her seeing me. It's hilarious. But it reminded me, hey, look, God's watching all the time. God is constantly watching. And he knows every detail, every thought, every act, every reaction. He knows it all. And while that make, make us a little panicky and a little anxious to realize that, the good news is that the character of God allows him to continue to love us unconditionally in spite of all that that stuff that we do. It's amazing. Now listen, if you project your parents' love onto God's kind of love, you'll miss God's love because your parents loved you. Maybe they tried to love you well. Maybe they tried to love you unconditionally, but look, they failed at that because there were moments when you pushed their button and you went over the line and it didn't go well. And you failed as parents. Even if you tried your very best to love your children unconditionally, no matter what, they felt my love. You failed at that just like I did. 
Human beings fail to do this because we're flawed and we're weak. But God's character is so sterling, it is so pure, it is so right, it is so holy that no matter what we do, the love of God is still there embracing us. It's an amazing truth. But friends, what that does for us is that it reminds us that God can be trusted with our lives. And when we come to a place where we realize, look, I've got to, I got to get some help for this pain. I've got to get help for this toxic relationship. I've got to get help for this habit that I have. That you can turn to God and ask for help because he can be trusted. He loves you no matter what. He, know, he knows all about your situation. Now, here's the second thing, sub-point here, that God cares. Not only does He know, but He cares about my situation. Psalm 103, 13 and 14. He's like a father to us, tender and sympathetic, for He knows that we're made of dust. So God goes, look, we know, I, know, I know those people are just a bunch, they're a bunch of clay pots, just a bunch of dirt. They came from dirt, they'll return to dirt. They're just dust. I get it. They're, they're just cracked. They're crackpots. And God sees us that way. He knows that we're, we're, just, we're just earthen vessels, just kind of going through, the, going, through the, going through the life. And God gets it, and he cares about us. He's tender and sympathetic. Do you see those two words in Psalm 103? Tender, sympathetic. Jeremiah 31.3, I love this. God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Man, how can that be? An everlasting love. That's unconditional love. Romans 5.8, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us. He loves us this much. He sent his only son. It's amazing. So many of you, many of you are aware of the 12 steps. Alcoholics Anonymous and other recovery programs, 12 steps. It's, very, it's classic now. For many decades, many millions of people have been helped by the 12 steps. Some of you have been through a 12-step program. What you're aware of and realizing today is that we're talking about step number two in the 12 steps, which is the higher power. Now, let me introduce you to the higher power. His name is Jesus Christ. His name is Jesus. And he knows about you. And he cares about you. And thirdly, he can change your situation. He can change you. Yeah. And that's really good news. Notice Paul says in Ephesians 1.20, I pray that you'll begin to understand how incredibly great his power is to help those who believe in him. I pray you'll begin to understand, just begin to understand how great is his power to help. Have you ever found yourself paralyzed by things, paralyzed by procrastination? How many of you get the procrastination per paralyzation? Anyone besides me? Yeah, I get that. I have a PhD in procrastination. Let me tell you what drives procrastination. So you're just lazy. No. No, I'm not. What is, what is it that keeps you from starting a project that you know you have to do? You procrastinate, put it off. What is it? I can tell you exactly what it is. I'm an expert. It's perfectionism. You want it to be perfect. And so you hesitate to start because you know when you're done, it won't be perfect. And so you put it off, and you put it off, and you put it off. That's not good. But it stems from this, this, this unrealistic expectation that everything's going to be done perfectly. Everything, when it's finished, is going to look perfect and be perfect, and everything's going to be in perfect order. But life's not like that. 
And we, we don't pr produce perfection because we're just crackpots. And so we have to get past that. Now, how do you get healed from that? Well, I'm in the process of healing. I'm in, the, I'm in recovery. And I'm, I do a lot better than I used to. And I've made great progress. But here's how you make progress with my, with my particular problem, this perfectionism thing. You make progress by accepting who God believes you to be. And that God doesn't expect me to be perfect. God's love, he knows me, he cares for me, and he has the power to help change me. And in, in this particular area of my life, God reminds me that I'm lovable, I'm acceptable, and I'm forgiven no matter how I perform. And that if I'll rest in that, that gives me freedom to do something as well as I can, you know, make, give my best effort. That's the right thing. That's a good thing. But it doesn't have to be perfect. And I don't have to wait till tomorrow to start it or the last minute to start it. I can start doing it right now. Because I know it's not going to be perfect when I'm done, and that's okay. Because I want to believe about myself the truest thing about me, which is God loves me just the way I am. And when I begin to incorporate, see, that's what, that's what Paul's nudging us to think about, Ephesians 1.20. I pray that you'll begin to understand how incredibly great his power is to help those who believe in him. And so help me to understand just how much you love me, how much power you have available to me. And it makes me free. That's, that's clean. That's free. So you're paralyzed by procrastination? Very rarely. Does that happen to me anymore? Still does from time to time, but very rarely. And that's, a, that's, a, that's progress. Um, Jesus actually comes along and said, or the apostle said this about Jesus. He said, look, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to you. You stop and think about that. Can I, can I just transport you in time and space, just transport you in a time machine, just transport you back to the garden tomb on the first Easter morning? You are there. You're standing 10 feet away from the stone that covers the, the tomb of Jesus. There are angels there posted at the face of that tomb, and suddenly the earth begins to shake underneath your feet. Imagine yourself there. There's, there, is, there is sensation. There is a rumble in the earth. There has got to be noise associated with it. There have, perhaps there's light association to it. And suddenly now this, this stone begins to shake like this and it just begins to roll, which takes you know, men with levers to move the thing and it just rolls on its own out of the way and maybe light emanates out of the tomb. We don't know, but there's got to be sensation to it. There's got to be, it's, it's a glorious moment. And the guy that you just watched die on a cross, the most horrific death ever devised by humanity, three days earlier, he's dead and buried. And now on the third day, that same guy comes walking out of that tomb. Imagine the effect that might have on you. You zow. Awesome. Now the apostle comes back around on that whole theme and he reminds us, he said, the same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead is available to help you with your little problem. It may be possible that if God could raise Jesus from the dead, he could raise a dead marriage. If God could raise Jesus from the dead, he could actually heal your physical body. If God could raise Jesus from the dead, he might be able to give you enough power so that you can stop doing destructive patterns. You imagine? Yeah, that's the promise that God gives us. So he knows about us. 
He cares about us, and he gives us the power to overcome these things. Luke 18, 27 says, what is impossible for men is possible for God. <laughs> Come on. That is so encouraging. The Bible says nothing is too hard for God. So you don't understand my situation. You don't understand God's power. Uh-huh. Here's the third point. Let's bring this in for a landing. So we need to accept God's offer. Accept God's offer to help. That's where we are. Philippians 2.13, for God is at work within you, giving the will and the power to achieve his purpose. So God is at work, giving you the power and the will to do it. We all know willpower doesn't work. If willpower worked, then it would already work. Good intentions work, good intentions would work. If making a New Year's resolution or some other pact like that would work, then it would have already worked. But you know it doesn't work. It's not enough. Sometimes we just get stuck because we're afraid to change. We're afraid of the pain that might come in the change. You know, we don't like change. Then you say, God, I'm willing to be made willing. Even if I'm reluctant to change, then we say, Lord, if you have the power to give me the will to do it, then, Lord, I'm praying that you'll give me a willingness to change and then the power to change. So what happens when I open up my life to God's power? When I ask God to put the Spirit of Jesus Christ in my life, what does it do? Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. It says, The Spirit that God gives fills us with power and love and self-control. God's not given us a spirit of fear, but power and love and self-control. Isn't that encouraging? So that's it. God will fill you with His power. He'll give you the power you need, the willpower you need, the, the, the potency, internal strength, character to deal with these particular changes and these, issue, and these issues, to let go of your hurts. He'll also fill us with his love. But you can actually express your love to God and receive his love for you, begin to extend it to others. You don't have to build up those walls and pretend like you're somebody you're not because you know your love no matter. And then ultimately God will give us the self-discipline that we need. That's the promise of the Spirit. You know, everything works better when it's plugged in. Your TV works better when it's plugged in. Your toaster works better. Your coffee maker works better when it's plugged in. Uh, your iPad, when the battery's dead, works better. You plug it in. And we work better when we're plugged in. Plugged into the source of the real power, which is God. Now, how do you do that? Two simple things. This is the last thing on your outline now. Real simple. Believe and receive. Believe and receive. Believe that God exists. I believe that he does know and he does care and he does have the power to help me. Then I receive him into my life. And so the simple prayer is, second step, higher power, you say, Lord Jesus Christ, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your presence. Fill me with your spirit. God, I need help. Fill me with your strength and your power. And God will hear that prayer. Isaiah 43, 2 and 3 says, When you go through the deep waters and great troubles, I will be with you. You won't drown. When you walk through the fires of oppression, you won't be burned. Isn't that encouraging? God is with us. And he is with you. Well, he who has an ear to hear, that God is available to help. In Jesus' name. Would you pray with me? Bow your heads.
Let me ask you, friend, this morning, what do you, where do you find yourself hurting today? Are you going through some deep water? Maybe you feel like you're going under. Going through the fire right now? It heats on in your life? You feel like it's going to consume you? Burn you out? Maybe there are folks here who feel like you're in a rut. You say, I just can't get the power to change. I feel powerless. Let me remind you this morning, there is a higher power you can plug into. His name is Jesus Christ, the name above all names. And I invite you to open your heart and your life to him today. Take the second step. So, Lord, this morning we believe that you exist. And we believe that you know and you care and you have the power to help us. So we receive you into our lives. Jesus Christ, put your spirit in us. Put your spirit in us. We receive your help. In your holy name we pray. And the people said, Amen.